Okay, Brad, so we're going to move into some selfish questions. I'm going to be selfish, uh, but I, I, I do do believe this will be helpful um, for a number of folk listening. So uh, I have a younger son starting primary school next year. So he's at that age where he's about to hit prep. And I also have a son starting high school next year. And I've got a daughter in the middle there um, growing up way too fast, but she's, she's in fifth grade next year. And so what I want to do is, is just get your tips, tricks, advice in digital well-being um, for the kid who's about to start primary school, the kid who's about to start high school, and those kids are about to hit the what we refer to here as the ATAR, it's the senior, mm -hmm. senior system, uh, whether the pre-university preparing for what tertiary education might look like. So let's start with primary you got a child who's about to start school, early primary years. What's your tips, your advice, and things that we should be looking to? Well, as I mentioned before, uh, to summarize that, the analog world we know is uh, the safest place for them, the, the non-digital world. They, want, they need slow, paced learning. Uh, they need lots of one-on-one uh, -on -one attention with an actual human being. It doesn't work very well uh, online. Uh, they need lots of guidance. They need to uh, be made to stay focused. And if you are using the digital world and there are multiple tabs open on their tablet, they have access to things they shouldn't, they're going to drift and they're going to wander. And it's really not their fault. It's their prefrontal cortex that is just not developed with that impulse control. Uh, social media and video games, just too stimulating. And again, I refer to the folks out in Silicon Valley, many of them, not all of them, but many of them wait um, and introduce it later. And uh, I read one report, not only about Steve Jobs, but Bill Gates only allowed his daughter 45 minutes a day when she was older of entertainment and the rest could only be used for education. And this is the guy that built Microsoft. And there are good reasons for that. So it is that consuming thing uh, that we're talking about. As they mature and they develop these students uh, in the same schools where they send them out in Silicon Valley, they begin to slowly integrate uh, technology. And in, those, in that case, um, it is between 12 and 14 years of age, uh, the stuff that will get them a job. Because what you often hear is, hey, if they don't learn uh, technology, they're not going to be able to get a job. And what I've done, Brett, is I have created an animation to help explain what we're talking about between consumer and producer and waiting. So the questions that I often get are the complaints. Uh, I have to have technology to do my uh, schoolwork. I have to know how to use technology in order to get a job. So here's the animation. All of the, the famous things that are current uh, as of August 2020, these icons on the screen here, I'll go from left to right, Excel, PowerPoint, Fortnite, Google Classroom, Netflix, Minecraft, Snapchat, TikTok, Word, Instagram, pornography, and YouTube. So uh, what they're telling me, these kids, are I have to know all this stuff to get a job. But the truth is, the reality is, if you divide this up, and these are all digital technologies, if you look at the left-hand side of that screen, there's TikTok, Instagram, pornography, Minecraft, YouTube, uh, Snapchat, Fortnite, and Netflix. But on the right side is Google Classroom, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. Now, these are digital technologies. I never said throw them away. This will get you a job. And Brett, of all the places I've traveled around the world, uh, no one has ever come to me and said, please help me, I'm addicted to Excel. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I've, he- I've heard anecdotal stories of accountants having a bit of an issue with it, but as far as students. <laughs> Nothing wrong with accountants. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think you get my point. Mm. Even at a younger age, uh, they're going to get into Word and get out. They're going to get into Google Classroom and they're going to get out. They have used Mm -hmm. technology for the wonderful benefit that it can be economically. uh, It's a great way to deliver content. But if you go to the left side, which are the TikTok, Instagram, Minecraft, all those, that's what's causing the problem. And so that's where you have to, each parent has to look at their own child, and you might have several children, take them one case at a time, and you have to put the scales to them. And they're always, they're not always going to be equitable. They're not going to always be the same, and it's going to seem very unfair if one child Mm. can't have it, but another one can, and then you have Mm. a decision to make. Do you just not, nobody has it? That that can be an option. But what I'm advocating when they get, you know, in that age range, 12 to 14, if you keep them on the right side of the screen with the Google Classroom and the Zoom and you as a parent limit them to those, they will learn how to use digital technology. They will be well equipped to get a job, but I promise you they'll get into that software, that app, and they'll get out. If you give them the others, they're going to stay around for a long time and then the problems are going to arise. So once they get into high school, becomes a little bit different uh, kettle of fish, but the same rules apply. It, you, they still live under your roof. You you are still, as long as uh, you are responsible for their education, you have every right in the world to monitor that underdeveloped prefrontal cortex and come in and be the brakes for them if you need to be, even if there's some conflict. And I find that most parents avoid conflict like the plague. If you like conflict, you have a different set of issues. So I'm not saying you should like conflict. But it comes with the package. You know, you love them. You, you, you mm. want the best for them. And if you just see that that child in high school cannot handle some of those things on the left, then the answer for them right now is still no. And, and they'll always say this, Brett, they will love you later, especially when they have their own kids. Your genius status will return, I promise. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And, you know, look, I, I like that that animation. Um, and, and a couple of things I'd add there too, just so our parents are aware of some of the amazing things I see day in, day out. Um, and and I do want us to, to take some time to hear about the amazing stuff we see. Um, yeah, I, I see children creating story, digital stories that reflect on, that show um, incredible examples of empathy and examples of what they're learning. And it's this multimodal, amazing piece of work that, you know, without the technology, it couldn't be communicated that way. I've seen in, in the years that I've been working in this space, I've seen students who, who have anxiety issues, who can't do a, an English presentation or a talk in front of their peers, but they can record it and create a piece of media just like we are right now to communicate their understanding or their ideas. And, and you sit there and say, that is amazing, great work. Um, the technology has has brought some amazing benefit to that child. I've seen children with learning support issues that, that uh, you know, the voice dictation side of things has made a huge difference. A number of years ago, I, I worked with a, a child with cerebral palsy who had some incredible technology that meant she could communicate in, in ways that weren't, weren't possible without it. So we do see amazing benefits in, in this it's it's the the everyday use or overuse of certain things, and I, I do like that that animation you've shared. The student heading into their senior years, and and this is obviously 
you know, good, bad, ugly habits may have been formed moving up to that. And, and it is what it is. And, but let's, let's focus on that, that student that's, that's about to hit their, their senior years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember my own father saying, well, this is, this is the most important two years ever. And uh, you got to work hard, study hard. And look, the diary says two to three hours a night. And, and in this day and age, not, not when I went to school, but in this day and age, a lot of that is done online. Um, as a, as a parent of someone who has a kid about to hit senior, how do you help them guide them and, and, and set them up for the, the best success in managing the, the challenges of the online world and, and digital technologies in that space? The, as they get older, the thing that, that I observe globally is the peer pressure becomes almost unbearable. Mm. And being left out is probably their greatest fear hmm. because with that comes bullying and being made fun of and being harassed both physically sometimes or at least verbally in person and especially online. And so before they get to that stage, the values that I would encourage parents to put into them is that um, we think for ourselves and that's okay. We do what is in our best interest despite what everyone else is doing. And I I will tell audiences when I speak to kids, the reason that I am where I am and I get to travel all over the place and do all these things is not because I'm overly talented, certainly not because I'm tall. When you see me, you'll see. Uh, It's not because I'm, I'm getting rich doing this and I'm famous and all that sort of stuff. The reason is, is that I've always done the right thing as best I can. I've made bad choices too, I have. But in the big picture, um, I've never worried about what people say about me or think about me except a handful of people. And that would be my, my friends that have my best interest at heart. My grandparents were a big influence in my life. And uh, now that would be my board members. And they've been chosen uh, to not be yes people. But I, I chose them to be hard on me because I know they like me. They care about me. And so um, I, I limit what I think, or I limit my peer pressure to a certain group of people, in other words. And so by the time they get into high school, the peer pressure is just the biggest thing that I see. And that has to do with the social media. They don't want to be left out. They don't want to miss out on the latest joke or the latest thing that's going around because everybody's talking about it. And I would just say to parents, please teach them that life is not about that. Life goes way beyond that. And because of their prefrontal cortex not being fully developed, they're going to want that very badly, but you're going to have to guide them through that and be on site. That's my answer. You can't continue to take a hands-off approach. You might have to use more stealth when you do it. You might have to uh, uh, be a little bit more gentle, but you still have to be hands-on when they're at that age because remember, they're still a child. And they're not going to have that part of their brain developed until they're at least 25. That's why a lot of students leave high school and in their first year of university, they fail out because they're gaming all the time because uh, they were just not taunted in restraint. And so the peer pressure is a big deal. Social media especially lends itself to that. And that would include video games in the chat room. I mean, some of these guys' worlds revolve around friends in the chat room and they've never met them physically. But they're close to them. I mean, there's a bonding there. And they, and to have that taken away is a big deal. So it's hmm. better to teach them how to have friends in person who share like values 
in the real world and not put any emphasis on the social media relationships. And the best way I think to teach them to use social media is to stay in touch with your friends that you know in person and, and use social media to stay in touch that way. But don't get close to people um, that you don't know. There, there's, a, there's an old saying, it's in the scripture that uh, I really like that says bad company corrupts good character. And that works online as well. And mm-hmm. so a lot of parents don't even know who these friends are and they might have goodness knows how many they're interacting with. So you can't take a hands-off approach, teach them to be their own person, to do their own thing, beat to their own drum without being arrogant, without being, you know, cocky, but teach them they don't have to be in on every single thing and that's okay because their future is what you're concerned about and not getting sidetracked and end up with these all these problems that we've been talking about. Let's wrap up with a couple of tips. Um, I'm going to throw one out and, and maybe we'll go back and forth on a couple of very quick uh, uh, tips. My my thing, the, Dis- the I don't want to recommend particular products. I, I use the Disney Circle. It, it's easy to use. Um, yes, I have to keep it up to date and keep an eye on it. It has just been um, a really good way to help have conversations with kids where I can say, hey, you spent two hours doing that. You spent two hours. Um, I want you to spend at least four hours out on your bicycle. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Just don't break another tooth. Um, <laughs> so that's that's why I, mean, I think it's a it's a wonderful thing to put in place. As we've said, it's not a road. It's not a solution. It's a it's a roadblock. What about you? Yeah, what I'd like to do um, is just give a, a, a couple of lists. Yep. So let's right. review the symptoms of digital addiction and then how to undo them. I think that'd yep. be the safest thing. So the symptoms of digital addiction. I've already mentioned all these, but I just want to put them in one place. Anger and aggression, anxiety and depression, extreme irritability. Now, let me pause before I give the other three. These are in the top. We all emotionally suffer these symptoms because we live life. If you're a parent, you do. (laughs) Exactly. But what we're talking about here is when addiction sets in, things get exacerbated. So when I'm talking to doctors and psychologists and counselors and people in general, I say, look, would you rather treat this much problem or this much problem? You know, it's pretty cut and dry. So if we had a way to reduce this without medication, this mm. might not even need it, you know? Mm. So what we're talking about here is an exacerbation of the anger and aggression, anxiety, depression, irritability. I mean, it's, it's just off the charts when you take the device away or you confront them about their digital usage mm. and these things manifest in an over-the-top way. Okay, fourthly, attention deficits. A lot of research going into attention deficits directly related to the overuse of technology. And of course, sleep loss and all the things that come with that and emotional numbness. I talked about that and hedonia when the wall gets really big. So what do we do about all of this? All right, here's the list. And this comes from my new book, by the way, that's not out quite yet. If you are addicted, if you are legitimately addicted, maybe you've had a brain scan, or maybe you've just seen from these symptoms, you're definitely addicted, your child is addicted, you have to detox first. If you're over that line, the strategies that I'm about to give you will not work. Uh, Weaning works with alcohol, it works with some of the other drug addictions, but in digital, most of the models show you just gotta detox and um, you're not gonna die, it's just gonna hurt for a little while. (laughs) But they won't die, they'll just be really angry But I have heard in some cases people being able to wean successfully, but usually in the detox centers in South Korea, they just collect everything. They give them a bunch of analog fun activities to do for about a month to six weeks, and they they come right. 
So that's about how long it takes in the best case scenario, four to six weeks to do a detox and then no screens at all during that time, including television. And you then return to limited technology and that's the stuff on the right side of the screen, that animation that I created. And um, that's basically what you have to do and then the strategies will work. So let me give you uh, a list. Keep a regular schedule, especially during COVID, especially for those who might be watching this who are not able to be at school physically. Now they're in Queensland, fortunately you guys were able to be there. Uh, but I'm speaking to an awful lot of people around the world who are trying to manage this at home. But regardless, keeping a regular, consistent schedule. Number two, get all the technology out of the bedrooms, all the video games, all the television, and sleep. You really need to sleep. No technology in the bedroom. Teenagers need nine and a quarter hours of sleep per night for their brain to properly reset and all the chemicals to come right. And uh, for those who are a bit older, our age, Brett, we need eight to eight and a half for that to properly happen. And if you are younger than the teenage years, you need upwards of nine and a half to 10 hours of sleep a night. And the children and the teenagers need to be finished with screen time three hours before bed. That's because when you look at a screen, the adrenal system gets on overload. It pumps stimulating chemicals into the brain and they may go to sleep, but not sleep deeply, go through those normal cycles of REM and deep and light sleep and it'll keep them from going into the deepest levels of sleep for longer. So uh, in other words, it takes them longer to get into deep sleep, which means they haven't even slept properly. So no screen time before school. And you should see what happens in an auditorium full of kids when I put that on the screen, Brett. They go nuts. (laughs) But listen, uh, Mm. the reality is the attention span is going to immediately decrease because they're on their mind. They're not going to be able to switch Mm. gears on what stuff they've been reading, games they've been playing, and focus. The attention span is is going to get shorter. So save the brain's reserve for things that are actually productive. You've heard me say that. So no screen time before school. Save the brain's power, reserve, retention, cognition for things that are important. That would be the education stuff, even if that's done on a screen. No multitasking ever. So I showed you what that is. We also call it toggling. So here's how you fix that problem. A student sits down to do their maths, And the thing I would say is total silence. No music, no earbuds. Oh, come on, but I need Spotify streaming my latest favorite music to focus. Thousands of studies show that you cannot concentrate. Your brain is going back and forth. Thousands of, and that's according to uh, Dr. Daniel J. Levitin, and he specializes in this. He cites quite a number of studies that you need total silence, no music. And this creates anxiety whenever I put that on the screen, which means... No music, no phone near you, no entertainment tabs. So what I'm saying is if you are on Zoom or Google Classroom, whatever your platform is, no other tabs open, no social media, no email. Focus, monotask, one thing at a time. So when you sit down to do your math, that's all you do. History, you move on. And if you need a brain break, and this is what I've been recommending to schools around the world, don't allow any screens during breaks, put board games out there, no music during those breaks. And we're hearing some fantastic stories of behavioral changes across the board when the kids during their breaks are playing the board games and they're not listening to music. They're actually, get this, Brett, they're talking to each other. Uh, Pretty amazing. So then uh, when it comes to Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok, I strongly recommend that you give yourself permission to say these are optional. In other words, if you decide that they're not appropriate, that's okay. And all video games, that that has to be 
a situation where you say, you know what, if, if my child can't handle that, it's okay if I take that one off of the table. So you study in a monotasking way. Research shows that you learn more when you read from paper instead of a screen. And so if there's a lot of reading to do, short things on the screen are okay, mm -hmm. but print those PDFs if they're lengthy. Um, try yep. to get the printed textbooks or, or if it's all on digital and you determine that your child is not coping well because what the research says, cognition is down, re respectfully request the printed version. Research also shows that you learn more when you take notes on paper instead of typing them. And so what I encourage people to do when they're taking courses online, write in their journal or their notebook and write it by hand. So use the internet for the great delivery mechanism that it can be, but look away from the screen and take your notes that way. And so uh, here just I'm just putting some of the, the articles about this research up on the screen here. A new study shows that students learn way more effectively from print textbooks than screens. And then no video games uh, has to be an option. And then exercise a lot. And I do that myself. The research is so clear on what it, of all the health benefits, not only of the body, but the cognition and the brain, stress relief from endorphins and things like that. And, and then quiet time. And um, a lot of people uh, associate this with devotions. If you're a spiritual person, I do that, but I also read a lot. But here's what the neuroscientist, uh, neurobiologist Susan Greenfield says that reading can extend the attention span, which is good news if you're reading mm -hmm. on paper. And here's the last bit of information that I would recommend. It's from an article titled, Read Slowly to Benefit Your Brain and Cut Stress. Slow reading means a return to a continuous linear pattern in a quiet environment free of distractions. Advocates recommend setting aside at least 30 to 45 minutes in a comfortable chair far from cell phones and computers. Some suggest scheduling time like an exercise session. Many recommend taking occasional notes to deepen engagement with the text. And I'm just putting a quick picture up there of where I do this every morning. Uh, there's some highlighters there, a couple of Bibles, some books that I'm reading, uh, a dictionary, and, and you'll see no screens, no screens whatsoever, first thing. I save all my brain reserve for work, and everything is done in the analog world for the first 40 minutes of my morning, and then I engage with the day. So I take this advice myself. It's made all the difference in the world. It's improved my writing of my articles and books and all that hmm. sort of stuff. So, Brett, I hope yeah, that those who are watching this find this encouraging, yeah. not, not condemning, yep. and helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Brad. And, you know, you, you shared some advice, some very similar advice a number of years ago with um, uh, some students of mine. Uh, we're going back four or five years ago. And the next day I watched a student of mine who was actually in my film and media class. She, uh, so making videos and film production and that was the top of the class, was my VHA student, my top student. Uh, she produced some amazing pieces of work, documentaries, short films, all sorts of things, using technology, obviously. And I saw her uh, in class, and she'd taken your advice. She was she had, We had digital textbooks, but she knew we were studying, maybe in math, she was studying Chapter 6, and she'd printed Chapter 6, <laughs> put it in a binder, was highlighting, scribbling around it. Um, and, I, and I spoke to her afterwards, and, and just to watch this, someone take that advice on board and, and I'm sure you've spoken to plenty of people who have and yep. some that may, may not take that advice on board, but to see it in action was pretty incredible. And it was for me, the picture of that great balance, mm. someone who could do amazing things with the technology, but also understand for certain things that they need to switch it off, have the analog and, and um, 
you know, she uh, went on to study physiotherapy at university. Mm. Um, I'm sure she's having a successful successful career on from there. But, you know, it, it's just great practical advice. It is difficult at times as parents. It is very difficult. All those symptoms, that they could be symptoms of parenting. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate your time, Brad. Thank you so much for your for your willingness to discuss these issues, for the work you do. Um, and uh, we, we do hope that uh, we can physically be together again yes. soon. Yes. Um, we can hang out and drink more coffee. Yes. I can introduce you to the beautiful part of the world that is Noosa. And, <laughs> I've um, been there, but I, then, I but... miss it. So take me back. <laughs> take you back. Take, take you back. back. And Brett, let me say so, it's, a, it's a real privilege yeah. to be with you. You and I have been friends for quite a long time. And for you to continue to... Uh, have me around wherever you go. Um, just appreciate you. And I also want to say to the parents, again, this was not uh, intended in any way to condemn you or to make you feel bad. The, you know, I, I do all this research and stuff, but I'm also, I have a Bible degree. I'm a minister. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, um, God has put in me a desire to, to care for people. And so we say all these things in love. And uh, if there's anything that I can do to follow up with this, you're welcome, uh, Brett, to put my email address out there and that sort of thing. And, and I'll be glad to respond. If there's anything I can do to help, I will certainly be happy to do that. Appreciate it. And um, until next time, stay safe and uh, we'll talk soon, hopefully. Yeah, you too, Brett. Thank you.